That's all lesson three. Uh, before we do that, let's let's just quickly review over lesson two. A lot of you guys uh, remember that. Hopefully, it was sticking in your brain just last week. And remember, we talked about the heart, and we talked about the overflow. The overflow of the heart is what we what? What we say and what we do. So that will come out of our heart, whatever's in our heart. This is, I'm going to build on this in the next couple weeks. But that's going to be a foundation of thinking of this verse from, um, from Luke 6 that we went through extensively. What we say and what we do is an overflow out of our hearts. It talked about the, uh, a good tree bearing bad fruit uh, can't bear bad fruit, or does a bad tree bear good fruit? Each tree is known by its fruit. And uh, that was uh, something that was important that Christ was sharing regarding to the, um, uh, what do you call them, the uh, Pharisees, challenging them that, my goodness, you guys, you're, you are not, you, you may on the outward look like you're doing everything right, but uh, inwardly you've got uh, this evil in your hearts. And uh, he was drawing attention to that. We then looked at Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. We need to guard this. What we put into it is what will come out of it. We need to guard that, and that uh, was important. Part of that process, then we walked into Deuteronomy 6. So Luke 6, then we looked at Deuteronomy 6, and uh, this is one you're going to hear repeated week after week in here. And uh, really, after um, the, the first couple opening verses of that, then verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So that's what our heart should be doing, is loving the Lord. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. So that's what's in there. Then, once they're on your heart, then you can teach them to your children. And you do it diligently. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, by you, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, and went into other things. So if we are continually putting the word of God in our heart and driving things into our heart is what will overflow. And it's the same with our kids. We want, we want to see that process. And uh, we're going to talk about very specific ways that we can do that as we, we go on in a few weeks here. It's uh, fun. So we were looking a lot at the heart. Then we went back and we talked about the apple tree. Remember that, uh, that simple little diagram where it showed the tree and a crazy nut that I am tried to go and make the apple tree look good by tying fruit on the branches and it looked terrific but it was rotten and it was going to rot because it was just a, a waste of time trying to look good and that's basically what the Pharisees were doing that Christ was excoriating them and uh, what we don't want to do with our children so this week I'm sure you've had a chance to think about that little concept did you see anybody maybe not your own kids but uh, I, I know you guys wouldn't do this kind of stuff uh, did you see any examples of of fruit tying that uh, uh, apple hanging go ahead and share Abby Yeah, simple little things like that. Yeah, Sal? So he's been trained to that. He's been trained to say, oh, I'll just go say I'm sorry, and that'll settle it all. That's good. good. That's, a, that's a great call. That's good to serve those things. Yeah, that's a, uh, 
that is a problem when we allow that to keep happening in our kids' lives. And uh, so then we had some homework. Hopefully, you got to read the intro and chapter one then. Oh, yeah, you guys get that article from Cripplegate that came out? I, I forwarded it to you guys on an email. I was like, that was exactly what we're talking about. It was perfect. I was like, oh, that, that made sense. Huh? Thank you. <clears throat> okay, this week we want to turn the corner a little bit and look at some of the root causes and things that are going on here in our, our lives and uh, in those of our kids. So we're going to talk about shaping influences. Shaping influences, I think I put it there, it's the, uh, are the events of life itself, the situations, happenings, and circumstances in a child's developmental years that make him the person he is. Some are shaping influences over which you have no control, such as natural disasters, death, disease. These are things that, that happen in your family or happen to a child, and uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna look at these and how they do affect or don't affect. Um, so the first point there, while these events may be beyond your control, they're not beyond God's control. They're not beyond God's control. So this is the sovereignty of God, and we talk about this regularly at Grace Bible Church, the importance to know that God is in control and things that happen are not happening by accident. It wasn't like God's up there in heaven and go, oops, my joystick went a little sideways. I didn't get that one exactly right and such and such happened. No, it was all, it was all planned there. Um, Acts 17.26 says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on, uh, on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So he knows exactly what's going on, exactly where each person lives, exactly what times, things like that. That is an important thing to know that God is sovereignly in control. So let's look at some of these major influences in the life of your child. And think both in terms of your own life growing up and then also that of what you're doing with your children right now. This could, uh, <clears throat> could affect both ways. First is the structure of your family. If you grew up in a single parent family with only a mom or only a dad, think of how different that would be and how that has affected your thought process, your parenting process, the way that you're going to be watching your kids. Um, are the grandparents living? Are there grandparents around? That's part of the family life, the structure of the family. Are you close to grandma and grandpa? My grandparents lived 3,000 miles away. I saw them like three times in my life, and they weren't any influence. If you have grandparents right next door, and they maybe have some values, either biblical or non-biblical, that's gonna have some very important shaping values. Uh, there were times when it was a bad influence for us with our kids. We didn't want them around grandma and grandpa. So don't listen to the words that grandma just said or, or grandpa just said. Those are words we don't use. <laughs> you know, things like that you have to then deal with. Uh, next would be family values. What family values are there that are held important within your family growing up? Is church something that was important? Were you raised every single Sunday going to church? Or was it, yeah, if you want to go, you can, or maybe it was that, yeah, we'll go to church, but that was our day to look holy, and we did everything right, and you know we acted all pious, and the rest of the week, we're a totally different person. These are influences. How about honesty? Is honesty an important thing in the family? That's a family value. Was it important to say certain things that are true? If you're going to Disneyland, and your kids are there, and you tell them, hey, kid, tell them you're nine, you're not 10, because it's a lower price. If you're nine years old, as we go in, we'll get your ticket. And you just taught the honesty, well, I just turned 10, Dad, I want to say I'm 10. But you're saying no, because I want to save money. Six bucks difference for the Disneyland ticket, and you've just short-circuited that honesty process with your kids. These are important things to know. So that's a lying. You know, when it used to be when the phone would ring with us growing up, the phone was attached to the wall. I don't know if that's happened with any of you guys. Have you seen the <laughs> phones that are attached to the wall? You're really aging yourself. I know. You've got to dial. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah really. 
But if the phone would ring and somebody calls and, and they're asking for dad, you know, uh, Mr. Oweather, is he there? And, and I say, tell him I'm not here. Well, what does that convey to the rest of the family? Saying, oh, dad's going to lie that he's not here. And, you know, he runs out the door or something like that. Those are important things. How about a family value of being a hard worker? You know, if a family where the, the dad just sits around in a couch the whole time and just waits on uh, allow, waits for uh, mom to take care of dad all the time and, and he just sits there and reads his paper and drinks beer and watches TV, that's going to have a very profound effect. Um, other family values. How about drinking? Was drinking allowed in the house? Was it part of it? Was it a major part of it? And I realized culturally, for some people, that's you know, the Italian way they grow up. There's certain things that that'll happen. But to what level? And how is that going to affect the kids as they watch the importance of that, especially if dad drinks too much? I remember my dad coming home Christmas Eve a lot of times. And he had had a party at work, and he's, he's drunk. And it's like, what do you do with this? And that, those are things you remember. He wasn't normally a drinker, but these things occurred in life. Movies. What movies do you allow? Now, we're not saying any are good or any are bad. Yeah, there are some that have very ungodly values, but what are you allowing in the house, or what did your parents allow? In our house, <clears throat> we didn't have really any of the um, suspenseful, mysterious, um, fast action paced, you know, with car chases and stuff, because she doesn't like those things. They scare her to death. <laughs> you turn on 24, turns on with just the beginning entrance to it, dink, dink, dink. And she just runs to the other room screaming, I can't take it, I can't take it, because she couldn't handle that. Well, pretty close. <laughs> She'd go upstairs. I just disappeared. Yeah. So those are things that it shifted on, on what we did. Now, my boys, I'll tell you, you, you know them, you know them. They love action-packed movies with everything going on, and so do I. But we had to shift what we did in our house because of that. And it, I think, affected because they're, you know, maybe nightmares, maybe the things like that that kids have seen or haven't seen. Those are family values. How about family roles? Family roles. Is dad strong in the family, or is it mom that's ruling the whole thing? Now that's that's going to affect the way that you parent, the way that you have been affected. Oh, yeah, my dad always did this, my dad always did that. Or, you know what, mom always did this, and mom always took us to church, and mom was the leader. Those are important things to understand what those roles were and how they played in your family. These are great things that you're actually going to get some homework on in, in a little bit at the end of this. Family problem solving. How does your family solve problems when there was a disagreement? Would dad give mom the silent treatment and just not talk or just go in the other room? Or was it a yelling fest and things thrown across the room? You know, how, how are the kids perceiving that? Or even in your own family, how do you deal with problems within the family? If, uh, if these things are issues that are, are ungodly, and now you're saying as a Christian, wow, you know, I don't know how my parents did that. I don't want to do that. You're going to shift what you do because of what you saw. You're going to make a shift because of, of these shaping influences on you. How about conflict resolution? How, how, did, how were conflicts ultimately resolved? Would dad then come to mom and say, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that thing. It was really um, inappropriate for me, and, and I'm sorry I, I made you feel bad. Or is it that... Dad says, okay, I, I owe mom, and he goes out and buys her something and, and buys her love because of that, and buys her a ring or buys her flowers or buys her something to, to deal with the argument. And so it's almost like a bribery system that went on. Yeah, I can see uh, mom got a new car and must have had a good fight last month. You know, those are the things that there are families that have been that way. Um, or you just walk away from the problems. Ah, oh, just let it settle under the rug, and we won't even deal with it anymore. That's going to affect 
uh, that's a shaping influence. If, if that's the way you saw conflict resolution going on in your family, is that we just, it'll go away, we won't worry about it. it you're stuffing it. And I've seen families like that where it's, it's never dealt with, it's never dealt with. And eventually you know those things are back there because you know what the character of the players are involved and it's going to come out. How about how they deal with failure? When there's failure in the family, how, how, it's so-and-so's fault. It's this fault. It's that fault. There's a blaming of each other or finding fault with somebody. So you got a bad grade on your, on your eighth grade science project and you didn't make it into the finals and you should have with all that hard work. That teacher of yours, and they shouldn't have done this and they shouldn't have done that. Well, what does that say to that kid about authority? So we're going to look at some of that later on. Uh, ridiculing. You know, is there a ridicule that goes on because of, of others with failure? That, oh, that kid, he did such and such. What a stupid idiot. You know, those are, those are going to affect um, your lives. Repentance is another part of failure. Was, was that something that was regularly a part of your, ha- your family? Possibly even dad and mom to the kids where, you know, I'm so sorry, son. I, I misread that, and I had you do something you shouldn't have done. I blamed you for this, or I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Is dad modeling that thing, or is mom modeling those, dealing with those kind of failures? Family history. Um, there might be some health issues. If you have a very sick uh, mom who gets headaches all the time, and she's always in bed, and you know, she can't make dinner, that's going to be a shaping influence. It's going to really affect that life. Socioeconomic issues. You know, if you're just scraping by, and you're always just barely have enough money, or, or maybe dad was out of job for six months. That's going to have an effect. Remember that time we went through, kids, when when Dad didn't have a job? Or was it, oh, yeah, we're finally done with it. You can can try it, um, play it different ways uh, with socioeconomic issues, especially with a job loss. And and how does that come back to the very first word I said, the sovereignty of God? God allowed you to lose your job because he wanted to teach us something? That's, a, that's an interesting thing, an interesting way. Or sometimes the mom loses her job, and that's actually a catalyst to get mom at home because now she's freed up from those other responsibilities and the family figures out they can do it. That will change the way the family dynamics occur. Deaths and births. Um, hey, man, if, if the dad dies in the family, that's a major issue. I guess divorce is a very similar, similar item there, but... Um, if, if it was an accident, it was a sudden accident, I'll, I shared with you, I don't, did I share in the class already about the, my friend who got murdered? Okay, I'll, I'll be sharing about that later on. Um, but 12-year-old and a 15-year-old kid were left. That profoundly affected that family when the dad dies, was murdered. That's just a, an influence you can't deny. Um, birth order, where do you fit within the birth order? You know, the first child, man, you're out there and you're the achiever and mom and dad are pushing you to do everything. The last one maybe gets forgotten, especially if you have like 14 kids or something like that. It's like, oh, we're done parenting. That's what happened with me with six kids, the last one. And my parents were done. By the time I was 17 years old, they couldn't get me to run away from home, so they ran away from home. And they left me, which, here, take care of the house and the bills, and, and you got a job, just take care of it. It's like, okay. And you know, that's going to change the way that things, things occur. Um, in that birth order, or the middle child. I've got a sister who's in the middle, and she just felt so neglected. Mom and dad never paid any attention to me. Well, that affected her life, and she's still, she's in her 60s, and she's, she points to that as the fact that it affected her lives. How about moves and relocation? You take and move from one city to another or move across town, and that affects the kids' schooling, it affects their friends, it affects, affects a lot of different things, that moving. Um, 
there was uh, somebody in our class years back that was telling us that within by the time this person was 18 years old, they had been through 46 moves. Counted them, 46 moves. That's nuts. Do you think that would affect you? Do you think that would have an influence on your life? I mean, just oh, it's Tuesday. We're moving again. <laughs> That's just insane, but that's, that's the way some people have had to live, and that's been their understanding of what the norm is of what affects them. Education. Is education important? Is that something where your parents said, you need to get a college degree, or you need to work very diligently on your eighth grade science project to get it done, and I'm going to make sure that you do it. Or is it, you know what, just let slide. A C is fine. What is it, C's get degrees? I think it's what, uh, what my kids in college used to tell us. Um, those are... Uh, important things, whether or not the education was there, and did the parents help in that process? Was it, you're on your own, do your homework, I don't understand it all, and, and get it done, or is it homeschooling, and I'm right there in your face doing it with you? That's, that's going to have an effect on each child and uh, how they're going to be looking at life. And lastly, neighbors, extended family, and grandparents. How close are they? I mean, were you living out in the country, and you're eight miles from the nearest um, person around you guys, you know, don't have as many neighbors around you guys, or are you packed into an apartment and you've got people that you're hearing them all the time? I think that that does have an effect on what your view is of the parenting process and of how you fit into that process. Well, God knows all of this, these things. He, he knows this has occurred in your past. He's allowed it to happen. These events are not beyond God's control. We have to first recognize that. I want to come back and look at this uh, shaping influences in a little bit, but I, while I take a divergent little tangent here of one of really the most important shaping influences, and that is the husband-wife relationship. This one is a key, key thing that goes on between you as, your, as, as a child growing up and looking at your parents or uh, your kids that are looking at you. And to properly understand our relationship as parents, we need to go all the way back to Genesis to, to do this, to see how God created families. Genesis 2 is where we're going to start, verse 7 to 17. Um, this is where God makes the families. It's a record of, of God creating man. And then, uh, then he placed him in the perfect garden of Eden. So this is that whole process going on, Genesis 2, 7 to 17. And up to this time, as, as you're reading, God is creating stuff in his order. He says, and it was good, and it was good, everything, and it was good. Then in verse 18... After this, the lead-up was 7 through 17. Verse 18, it's the first negative in the Bible. First time we have a negative, it says, And the Lord God said, it was not good. Okay, it was good, it was good, it was good. It was not good that man should be alone. So God actually created man with a need. He created, can you turn up the air conditioning? It's a little, I don't know, I don't know if you're cold. You're fine. We're okay? It's a little toasty. It's a little toasty, okay. Um, he created man with a need. Do you think God knew this before he created Adam? Yeah, he did. He created him very intently with a need. So what God did is he then, in, in these verses there, he paraded all the animals past him. He, he brought in elephants and rhinos and the hippopotamuses and the dogs and the cats and all these things, and he's parading them past them in pairs. And Adam is naming each one of them. And he's saying, oh, there's a pair of those, there's a pair of those. But then he caused Adam to see that there is not another one like him. He said, look, you look at this, and I don't see one that looks like me. So he now revealed to Adam that he had a need for another one like himself. He's created a need with him, and then says, look, 
you see this need. Your brain and Adam's brain was probably far more brilliant than ours. And so he's creating this. So notice the dynamics here. There's, there's a couple things going on here. First, he has, Adam has a real, uh, vertical relationship with God, doesn't he? So God is over him. He's under, under full um, authority of God. And he looks up to God. That's, that's his relationship. It's vertical. Then he also has another vertical relationship below him to the animals. These are below you, and you will rule over them, and you will have the power and dominion. You're naming them. He didn't have any relationship on the par. He had these two verticals. He showed him there is no relationship for you that is equal with you. And in the Hebrew mind, which I believe this was, Moses wrote this, he didn't separate Adam's being. It was a, a, a lack that he had that he was alone spiritually, he was alone physically, socially, emotionally, all these things. He was showing him all these things are missing out of your life. Um, he, Adam, uh, was alone lacking an intimate relationship with one like himself. He needed that type of thing, and God's showing it to him. So God creates a helper, and it wasn't a subservient slave. It wasn't somebody he would reach uh, over and be in charge of. It wasn't somebody he would be looking up to. Instead, it was a horizontal relationship with his wife, Eve. Be one who would complete him. That's the way God created it. So then God created Eve and brought her to Adam in verse 22. So it was God alone who first would create the need in Adam. Then he shows Adam his need. Then he shows Adam that he, God, is the one that will fulfill his needs. He is the one that will provide everything to him. As he's created the earth for him, now he's created this um, fulfillment of his need. From these verses, there's four principles we're going to derive. And these, I think, are important in the parenting process. Number one, the very first relationship established in Scripture is the husband-wife relationship. It's the very first one. God could have started the human race with any relationship. It could have been a mother-daughter. It could have been a brother-sister. It could have been any type of relationship. But God chose the husband-wife relationship. For some reason, that's what he said he wanted to do. And as we look at other relationships, we see certain ones that are just, you put the name together and you automatically think Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, you got uh, um, Aquila and Priscilla. You got Ruth and Boaz. You think of you know, all different couples. God created them and together for reasons that he, he wanted them together. So the very first relationship establishes a husband-wife relationship. Number two, the husband-wife relationship is primary. It's primary in all network of relationships. This is the primary one, is a husband-wife relationship. Just as creation, each day was dependent one on the next, that God would create the air so that animals could breathe and he created plants for them to eat and all these things that, that happened dependent upon each other, all relationships are dependent upon this primary relationship. You're never gonna be a better father than you are a husband. You're never going to be a better mother than you are a wife. Think about that. And that's, that is an important step that you have to first get down. And I think we all know that much of a child's security depends upon that husband-wife relationship working well together. When they see you loving each other, your kids feel more secure, right? Whenever you, you know, are having an argument, which I know no one in this room has ever had that, if your kids are around and they're, they say, oh, this is bad, I'm going to the other room, I'm, you know, they, they know something's wrong, and you can see it in them. They, they immediately feel that security. Number three, outside of your relationship with God, 
the husband-wife relationship must be viewed as the priority relationship of the family. It must be the priority relationship of the family. Are there any nurses in here? Any guys, nurses or doctors? Um, I had it explained to me a long time ago an analogy of the, the body when you go on a fast. You go on a long fast, a 30 or 40 day fast, and you're just barely getting any nutrients in through liquids. When you do that, what, what the body does is it starts to shut down, and it shuts down different organs because slowly it's just, it doesn't have much energy, but instead it takes the energy it has and it puts it into only the last remaining uh, organs. And the last ones that it has are the head, the heart, the kidney, and the liver. Just if these things can function, we can keep moving, we can keep moving. And eventually then it gets to the head and the heart. And think of that as the family, with the dad being the head and the mom being the heart. That too, all the energy will be filled. When everything else is falling apart, that's where the energy ends up going. I think that's a good example of the relationship being a priority relationship in the family. It has to focus as that being important. You have to be very intentional about doing this. This just doesn't happen by accident that husbands, you put your wives as important, or moms, you put your, your uh, husbands most important. In the Oweiler family, we had a bunch of ways that we did this, and, and these are not written in Scripture. These are not things you have to do. They're, they're things that work for us as vehicles to do this. When I drove home from work, I would get home, and the very first kiss I would give would be to my wife. I had four cute little daughters running around, and they were adorable, and they'd come around, Daddy, 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 and they'd want the first kiss. Ah, ah, mommy's first, and so I'd go give her a kiss and then give them a kiss, and they knew that. It was really amazing to see that they knew that that was important. Unless it was like a birthday or something special. Don't tell mom, but I'm going to give you a kiss first. And they loved it. They played on it because what did it do? It was a vehicle to say that mom is important. I can't wait to get in there to see my wife to give her a kiss. This is something that's important to me, and therefore it, it, I want to demonstrate it. We also demonstrated by having the two of us sit in the front seats of the car and put the kids in the back. I, back in the days in Asia, this is before horse and buggy, obviously, as old as we are. Um, we would see the... the dad driving in the front and the mom and the baby in the back seat and this child is now far more important and this relationship is uh, of the mom and the, and the daughter or son back there becomes so absorbing I got to take care of everything of its need as opposed to demonstrating to that child mom and dad are here we're in safety and comfort but we're up in the front seat being together as your family grows pointing that as this is an important relationship so we end up talking a lot in the front seat because that's important to us I demonstrated it that way and there's so many more ways to do that our words that we say, that reflects our view of marriage and, and how we feel about that marriage. So joking or even making fun of marriage um, devalues it. And I got in trouble big time for this. I was terrible. I'd make, I had some great jokes. And I had to learn to shut my mouth and not say them because they really offended my wife. And I didn't recognize that until she told me. How we speak to our spouse, spouse to others in front of our kids or even without the kids, that says a lot. Oh, yeah, my wife, she's this or that. That is bad. It's going to be just a negative thing. You have to be very cautious to guard your words there. Same thing with the problems you have. Do you go first with your problems to your best friend and talk to them about it? A friend with your, uh, if you have a problem with your spouse, or do you go to your parents and go talk? No, go to your spouse first. Deal with it in that level rather than spreading that out first. That way you make maintain that as a priority relationship. So you have these subtle ways you can have a very non-biblical view of marriage that will shape your, your thinking and it'll affect uh, in a negative way. And uh, don't think your kids don't notice it when you do these things, but they do, they do. Number four, since marriage was the priority relationship, all others must be subject to it, they must be subject to it. 
you must protect your marriage. Your children are not on an equal status level with you. Parents, you have to, you have to assume your God-given role and be the head of the family in leading in this way. You cannot make the whole family subject to your kids. It has, they have to be subject to the priority relationship. Malachi 2.15 is a passage on divorce. And uh, God's saying how he, he hates this and it's terrible. And he's talking about divorce. And then uh, all of a sudden in the middle, he says, he seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of, his, of your youth. And then he goes back to divorce. What's that saying? It's saying that if you deal treacherously with your wife, it's going to keep you from having godly offspring. There's a, a cause and effect there. You, you need to be cautious of that. William Farley, in a book, uh, Gospel, Gospel-Powered Parenting, great book that, as, a, as a resource there. He says, marriage-centered, not child-centered parents usually exert the greatest influence on their children for Christ and his kingdom. This means that your weekends away with your husband alone might influence your children more than all your teaching and disciplining combined. Your children are watching, and it gives you great joy and security to see their parents. It gives them great joy to see their parents loving each other. Do you see the dynamics of that? That is a real important thing is to, to spend time and to, to separate that, to make it different than um, just the kids are the center of attention. We're going to get into child-centered parenting later on. Picture it as a triangle with God here and husband here and wife here. The closer you get to God, each of you, this relationship gets closer too. And that's, that's a real key to make it happen. So it's the two of you as a priority doing these things together. Do you pray together on a regular basis? That's a first starting point. Before you, you lay your heads down on your pillows, before you go to sleep, just, husband, grab your wife's hand and say, let's pray, honey. Those are key little things that will really change that dynamic between the two of you and even in front of the kids sometimes. I know uh, in different... Uh, counseling that I've talked with other couples, I've never received a positive response from a marriage that was in trouble if I asked them, are you praying together? If their marriage is in trouble, they weren't praying together. It was always a given that that was happening. So that's a real key way to do that. Grow closer to God together. Children don't need a perfect example, but they need a humble one. And if they see that, you know what, we can't do it on our own. We're struggling. We're just like the rest of the people in this world. But as we look to God, together we can overcome some of these things. And that relationship, our marriage relationship, is important, and we need to subject the others important to it. And, and I know we've seen examples of, of child-centered parenting uh, where these kids are just the center, absolute center of everything that goes on. Every decision is made around the kids. And what does it teach the kids? They grow up, and they think, life's about me. And that's the generation we're driving now that's, that's like this. So having these four principles, um, let's look back now at Genesis chapter 2 and see where God made Adam and Eve. And so now, chapter uh, 3, we see Eve tempted by Satan. She's deceived by the serpent, and then she turns to Adam. Think how Adam, in this context, has to, what he's thinking about. So here it is, this woman that you gave me, God, has eaten of this fruit you told me not to eat of, and she is going to be cursed. You said that surely she will die if she eats of this fruit. And now I have a choice. I can either eat with her to be part of her because you've given her to me, or I can obey you. 
that's a tough decision because she's going to die. She's going to get old. She's going to get decrepit, and he's not going to. He does not have that in his gene that that's what's going to occur. So that's the decision he's faced with. This one who God created to complement him is now going to die. She would be separated from him. Would he trust God to fill his needs and his promises, or would he rely on the wife to fill his needs? And he chose to take the fruit and die later on. He denied God. If our marriages are going to preach the gospel to our children, it means that, dads, you need to become a servant leader in a godly way in that process. Um, moms, you need, to sub- you need to encourage your husbands to submit uh, by submitting to them and submitting to their leadership to prop them up. I can't tell you how many times Kathy has propped me up in my leadership. It's like, I don't know exactly what I'm doing here. And she will just keep the kids going to prop that up. Um, the fall that happened right there was a, was a major impact, obviously, on all of our lives. But Adam, because of his choice, he should have followed God. But he, and obviously, God knew it. It was part of God's sovereignty. He knew that he would fall, and now all of the human race was condemned. But God had a plan, thankfully. Hopefully, you see the value of protecting priority relationship. And uh, it's, it's, sometimes we don't see those things in our, our lives. But what happens when you put a child? Can you guys think of any examples of your friends? or uh, relatives or, or neighbors who've uh, put their child as a center of attention. I'm sure you've seen it. What's happened? What do you, what do you get? And when you see that, don't you see the parents being pulled apart? And then what happens? Next thing you know, there's somebody else that becomes more attractive to them, and marriage is gone. Yeah, that happens regularly. Yeah. Okay. Let's turn back to shaping influences. There's uh, a few last little things I want to cover here. In this process, so we, we see all this parenting that's going on, all these things that have happened in your life, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, the way you're raised, the socioeconomic, the amount of moving, the... Uh, ways that conflict resolution, all those things together. There's two mistakes we want to avoid in this process. The first is determinism. This is the idea that if you do everything right, if you get it down perfectly, you take care of everything's going to be okay if you can just control all these circumstances around them. You can control the issues of life. You can produce children you want to control, um, if, and you can have the outcome you want if you can just control all these circumstances. This assumes that they're the victims of their circumstances in which they're raised, is what it does. The second of, of mistake is a denial of shaping influences. These things weren't important. We'll just ignore them. It'll just go away. Ignoring the reality of these influences in, uh, in children's lives and even in your own lives. Well, the problem is that neither, neither determinism nor denial is correct. Neither ones. We can't do either of those. Because that's not what it is. Children act out of the Godward orientation in their heart. So here we have a little Johnny. And he is looking to see God is up here who created him. Out of his heart, he's going to be determining what he's going to do with God. Based upon all these circumstances around him. Will he also recognize the sovereignty of God in this process? Where is his heart aimed at? Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following. Either your children will respond to God in faith 
or else they're going to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's the fact. That eventually, they're going to say, who is God? What am I going to do with him? And I'm either going to, to take and accept what he's done in the sovereignty of, of his own will in my life. Otherwise, I'm going to go and, uh, and live my life the way that I want and suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I don't care about God. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to give myself my own pleasure. That's what Romans 1 talks about. Psalm 58.3 says, Even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, they are wayward and speak lies. Even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, they are wayward and speak lies. That's the natural bent. Each child here, the overflow of their heart is going to be to say and do things that are evil, things that are wrong, things that are against God's will. That's from birth. And we'll get into that later, the sin nature. And, I mean, that's why you think babies cry. They want something. I'm here. Take care of me. This is the only thing I want is I want one of the three Bs is what I used to say. Um, that were the issue, and, and I want it now, and take care of me. And as they come out as a little tiny infant, you have to train that away from a selfish desire that's concerned about myself to a concern about what does God want for me. That's the whole process of parenting. Psalm 51.5 confirms this. It says, I was sinful at birth. I was sinful at birth. That's, that's foundational to know that, the sin nature. Every child is born with a sin nature, and it's easy to deny that, to say that, no, I can just, I remember as a kid thinking this, if I could just, when I have kids, I'm going to raise a perfect child, I'm going to put every, all the borders around them, I'm going to give them all these rules and restrictions, and I'm going to raise a perfect child. I remember thinking that. How foolish, because I can't. They have a sin nature. We're all born with sin, and we're naturally going to sin. It's not because we sin because we have a sin, there's sin around us, we sin because we're sinners, and that's what's inside of us, to sin. Your worldview is going to affect this. You know, how do you view God, and how do you, you view everything about God? That is what will come out, as we said in the last two weeks, come out in that parenting process to get them to recognize that, and that's part of our process. Um, it was taught to me as, uh, in my very first parenting class as a self-bias impulse drive. Self-bias. Everything is designed towards myself and whatever I want. Impulse. That's going to act as an, all my impulses are going to pull towards myself, and it's a drive to do that, isn't it? That's what sin is. It's a, I want me, my, my, mine. That's what a self-biased desire is, and that's what sin is, what we need to train out of our kids and to train them to godliness. Lastly, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. We know that there's foolishness in there, and we need to work on ways to, to draw them out of it. This is despite all of the shaping influences. So if we, we realize God's sovereignty of where we live, how we live, the people around us, and the relationships, and all those other things, but if we funnel that back through the purposes of glorifying God in our kids' lives, that's our worldview. Now we have a chance of at least funneling God's sovereignty into a purpose. Dad lost his job. Praise God, he must have something else for us. Those are the ways that Dad goes and presents to the family. Look, our family is different than us. We're not, I'm mad at that boss of mine. He fired me and I didn't deserve it. No, it's, God has chosen to do this. Wow. God, I praise God. Let's figure this out, kids. Let's stop and pray about this. Or the kids fall down and get hurt. This was one of the things we taught our kids. Some, something happened around the house and some kid got hurt and they're sitting there with blood all over. And our kids would got to the point where, Daddy, let's pray about it. And that's what you want their heart to see, that this, God knows about this. He cares about these influences in our lives, however small or however great they are. That's what we, we want to do. Recognition of the sovereignty of God 
directing worship to him, that's really what overcomes this determinism or the shaping influences of our lives. It's, God, you got a plan for me. I don't know what it is. I, I don't like it right now, but I'm going to have to trust you. This is going to follow through with the parenting process if we recognize that this isn't about us. We've got our 80 or 100 years on this earth to influence our kids, influence others around us. If we get to heaven, that's eternity. And if we can just view how small that is, it would be changes. Any questions you guys have? Well, you're going to have to come up with questions because next week we have a Q&A. Okay? We're going to go through all this foundational stuff. After this, we're going to turn the corner with uh, some other things that uh, I want to get into. But next week we're going to have a Q&A. I may throw a couple other little small pieces of, of, of stuff in there for you guys to, uh, to chew on as we're going through it. But uh, no questions? Good. That means you're going to think about it real hard for next week. So write down a couple questions for next week. That's part of your homework. Also, couch time. Couch time is a, something we have labeled that uh, we want the two of you to take 15 minutes alone in front of your kids and just converse. I don't know if you've ever done this before, talked alone, because those kids, they want to get up in your lap. They want to talk to you. So you're going to need to set this up, say, and tell your kids ahead of time, maybe the night before, and tell them, kids, tonight we're going to, uh, uh, after dinner, mom and dad are going to go sit on the couch and we're going to talk. And it's just going to be the two of us and you can't interrupt us unless there's blood coming out or someone's going to, uh, there's something I need to call the police on. Other than that, I don't want to hear about it. And, and you guys need to have self-control while we're doing it. And you may have to take a little two-year-old and put them in a playpen. You may, but if they can see you, don't put them in the back room. It's not when they go to sleep you want to do this. You want them to see the two of you interacting. And when we started this, our little ones would then take each other and go have their own. Oh, it's our time to go have quiet time. We didn't have to tell them to do that. They chose to do that. But we took 15 minutes, and, and I want you to do this. 15 minutes, just the two of you. Call it couch time. And just talk. These things of that we just talked about, all of these shaping influences, what a great subject matter to talk about. You guys know kids? Start it now. You're already doing it. You talk. Yes. Talk about shaping influences. Hey, Grant was talking about this whole thing and, and how we grew up, and you're right. I know your family does this and ours does this. Kathy and I were at polar opposites. Mine was just super strict, and you had to follow the letter of the law, very legalistic. And hers was extremely, extremely liberal. Well, anything goes. It was just unbelievable what was allowed in her family. And that is still causing effects even today. But we had to bring the two of us together to figure out how to do this parenting thing. And so what it takes is communication. And that's what I want to do is start you guys on that communication path. Use some of these 15 minutes. If you can do it a couple times during the week, watch to see. And at first, I'll tell you, your kids are going to want to come right in your lap. Mommy, I need this. Mommy, I no. This is, and dad, you take the lead. This is mom and dad's time. We need you not to bother us unless it's blood. And just, just tell them, this is our time. And as small little ones, just if you have a playpen or some way to corral them, rope sometimes works good around the waist, <laughs> not the neck, I had to learn. <laughs> Duct tape around the mouth, no. You figure ways to do it. Think of what you're trying to do. You're trying to demonstrate a principle to them. The husband-wife relationship is the priority relationship and others are dependent upon it. And we want in our family that to be the case. We want our kids to see that husband-wife, I really value this and I'm not going to devalue it by letting a child who is down here below me. Remember we talked about the, the when in the order as Adam was created, he had God above him, he had his wife as parallel, his kids would be then below him. We want that par level and we want to show that because we believe that is a godly perspective. Any questions on? Oh, yeah. I have yeah. A question. Um, so this week, the 
there was, I mean, we have plenty of opportunities to practice things that we're learning. So there will be certain times when one of us is kind of, um, I don't know, disciplining or calling a child out for doing something. Um, what's the best way to handle it if one of us catches the other focusing on like behavior? Like if I'm telling my kids, you guys stop yelling at each other, you know, like I'm mm -hmm. doing dishes and I'm just like, stop yelling. What's the best way for my husband to be like, focusing on the heart or the behavior without saying it like in front of my kids so that yeah. it's like, I don't know. How, how would you have us handle that when we're trying to help each other in front of kids? Probably one of the best ways is for him to come alongside you. So you would basically say, hey, kids, I see what's going on here. Mom, you heard her. Let's work on ways. That, how could we do this? So you pull him aside and engage him in conversation. We need you to be self-controlled. Let's go work on self-control. You see why? Mom's trying to cook. Can mom cook when she hears all this going on? No. So let's work on this issue. And now you can step in. Even if he's not there, you can say, hey, why don't you come and help, help me out? I need, I need some help in here. Can you take the kids and get a signal between? Sometimes it's just a word that you can say between each other. Say, you know, 43 or whatever, you know, so you make some special code word up. It means I need help. Take care. And again, couch time is a good time. Oh, they're out of the room now. Let's you figure out our code words again. Um, just some way to, to, for him to recognize. And Does spanking count so I get code words? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get into spanking. <laughs> Sometimes it's just, you know, they have that little spanker in your pocket and just show it, just the very tip of it to them. They go, oh, okay, I'll be good. We're going to get into that. And, and the value of that, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, it's, it's what you're characterized by. Okay, so we're going to find in, in parenting it's, it's a process and it's not every single one has to be exactly the same on the way that you're going to handle something, but how are you characterized? And that's a neat thing. We're given latitude in the way we discipline, we're going, to, we're going to go through this in depth, to use different things as our children are different ages or they have different needs. For some like this, when there's a discipline issue that needs to be dealt with and you recognize it, it's sometimes either asking him, can you, Josh, can you cover for me while I go and do this? Matt, sorry. Why did it be Josh Burr? That's right. Well, there's the other yeah. Josh, Nick, Jacob. Josh, Scotland. sorry, Matt. I was I'm trying to think Matt and Abby. Um, Matt, can you go deal with this? Or, um, and, and that takes the two of you on the same page. Because, and we're going to get into this, of how the parenting process, you have to be on the same level as each other, what your responsibilities are and what you're going to do based upon something. Because they're going to play you. Kids will know, ah. I did such and such wrong, I'm going to go to dad rather than mom because I know I'll get less of, a, of an issue on it. Or dad will say yes, and I know mom will say no. So they start playing the two of you, and, and they'll win that battle sometimes, but how are you winning the war? Is it Are the two of you figuring these things out together? Honey, I thought I told her not to do that. Oh, you mean she, she, told, she asked me, and I said no. She went to you, and you said yes, and she did. Uh-uh, that's unacceptable. So that's something you have to talk about. So when a child comes to you, and they ask for something, and they've already asked for the other spouse, and it was a no, and they're looking to get a yes, uh, man, that's something you gotta work on. We're gonna get to that. That makes you come back, right? Come back next week, maybe not next week. Good, thank you, appreciate that. So write down some questions during the week. Couch time's a good time to do that. If you can do it two or three times during the week. We didn't do it every single night, but we'd do it probably. It's amazing what that habit establishes for your kids, though, that the whole security thing, and we think it's, oh, it's no big deal, we can do it, we can do it when they're not looking or whatever. It's more of the fact that you're showing in front of them the reality that mom and dad are communicating and you and they can't come and interrupt as the priority in the family. And that's the big thing that is so important. And so often, you know, we just don't realize how much we focus our attention on the kids 
kids, 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 and then you know, put on bed. Then dad has time or mom has time, but we have to stop and recognize and set it up. You know, and one of the things with younger children that I would do is prepare ahead of time. Just even take a timer. And for the little ones, okay, mommy's going to be talking later on with daddy, but right now, you know, I'm going to practice by when daddy's not home right now, but, you know, I want you to sit on the couch for five minutes, put the timer on, when the timer rings, then you can get off. Here's some books, here's some quiet things to do, you cannot get off. You know, have a boundary, have something where they know that's their, their setup. And so our goal isn't so much to, like, distract them and, like, turn on a movie and no. 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 do something, but no. have them get it's used to it's for them used to seeing you together interacting in a priority because they see mom all the time if dad's off at work they see dad dealing with when mom's not home but to see the two of you together where you know you guys are together as a team and not necessarily that it's always focused on them i mean your couch time could be talking about some of these issues that are differences in your parenting styles or things that you allow that he doesn't allow or vice versa and those are good conversations to recognize. You know, I've been letting them do this, and you said no, but I said yes, so what do you think we should do? You know, and kind of coming up with those conclusions. But again, it's setting up that ahead of time so that you can start talking through those issues and, and then seeing the unity. Because if, if you're not unified, they know it. They know it very clearly. I mean, all of us with older kids know when, when mom and dad aren't together, kids are like, what's going on? And they're, they're tipping around with silence and... <laughs> ready to see what's going to happen next. And guys, this is a good time to even ask your spouse about their quiet time. What are they studying? Talk about what you've been learning. It's a great way to, to cause you to have to regurgitate. I read from the Psalms today. I don't have the slightest idea what I read. You know, that's It, it causes you to think through those things and what you're going to do. I've been there and done that. Um, so that's one thing. Also, I, I know there's been cases where we've watched and uh, the dad's been gone a lot. He's on trips. He's, he's out and and he's just not interacting with the family, and the kids act up. And you look at, uh, this causes that, and you see a direct correlation. And so when people say, well, my kids just, all of a sudden, they're just being a brat, and they're just really hard to handle, and we'll ask, well, how's your time together been? Well, my husband's working late every single night. He gets home at 10, doesn't get to see him. Early in the morning, he doesn't even, he just kiss, kisses her good, goodbye. Uh, weekends, he's been working at his parents. Ah, there's the problem. The husband-wife relationship is not being visible. What happens sometimes is the kids will actually act up and get out of bed in the middle of the night just because that's the only time they get to see mom and dad acting together to come into the room to quiet them. So, oh, I can get mom and dad where I actually see both of them at the same time by waking up in the middle of the night. That worked. I'm going to do that again. So that's sometimes how bad it gets because you haven't been demonstrated. They have not seen that, that security. And you ask teenage kids, they're in, you know, in, in high school or whatever, and what's the number one issue to them is, are my parents going to stay together? You know, I, I saw them arguing with each other, and, and so-and-so just got a divorce from his parents got divorced, and those got, that's a security thing, and that's a big worry to them. If they can see a totally different view from an early age, I know for certain my parents are not going to get divorced. I see them communicating together well, and I've been to my friend's house, and I see the way their parents act. It just adds that level of stability to them. So start when they're young. Even yeah. date nights are important too. Uh, I think I might do that later on, but yeah, having a date night, you mentioned that, you know, that goes by the wayside. Those are important. Get a babysitter. There's other parents in the room here who can babysit for you. Important to do that, and uh, even a weekend away. Will you take a whole weekend away and go away to just the two of you guys? I've seen parents where they've been five, six years, and they got a little four or five-year-old, and they've never had a night away. It's like, get out of here. Go and leave your kids. 
Oops, sorry. <laughs> Just stepped on some toes here. Well, you think of the okay, okay. Well, stop. Time out. We we got to work on this one. Okay. Think, yeah. Well, we don't want to hear about your one. Um, never mind. Um, think of the importance of this for your wife's sake, Sal. Think of what it means to her to say that Sal loves me enough to just take me. Away. I don't have to be mom. I don't have to do that. I can actually be wife again. It's kind of like when we were dating. And that's the joy that you want to bring back into the marriage is doing that. So, dang it, ask somebody else to watch your kids. We will. We can put on with them for a day at least. Ask us. I mean, find somebody. Get. That's why you have a church body together. Rock. I realize, Brandy, with you, do that. Get away with the Lord. And this is the other thing with single parents. You know, if your husband isn't in tune with you on these kind of things, it's your time with the Lord. They're going to see, and she's, your kids are going to see that and say, "I know that mom has a stable relationship with God." And I can trust that as being important. So sorry, I didn't mean to leave you out in, these conver- in this conversation because your husband's not here. But, but think of that. And we've had a lot of single parents in our, in our classes. How will that child know that they're not the center of the universe? There's something more important than this. It's God in that case. And that's where I will be the father to the fatherless, he says. And that's how you can build that, that strength back into the family in places where it's been empty. So those are the areas that you can do it. But even, hey, surprise your husband. We're going to go out because my teacher in Sunday school said he'll love it. So hot dog night out of the town. And get somebody here to watch your kids. We're family to do this, guys. That's one of the first things I said in the first class. Be like-minded. Have people within the class. They don't have any kids. Push them off on them. <laughs> Let them learn what it's like. Good. I hope that's practical. Next week, bring more questions like that. And let's get into the nitty-gritty of it. And I'll hope that you guys all have appointments set at a hotel somewhere away. By then, we're, we're going to keep challenging you up. Good. Let's pray. God, uh, your word is so practical, and not that we can read into it that uh, thou shalt take a date every single month or anything like that, but there is a, a relationship that you've established as a priority, and for some reason you chose the husband-wife relationship, and it does demonstrate your love to us as the bro- us being your bride and uh, you being the bridegroom. Um, that has purpose and intent, and, and we should model that to our kids so that when they grow up, they see what that means when they read scripture that says that and we look forward to that marriage feast of the lamb where we're together with you and and consummating time with you these are the things that we want to model for our kids help us to do that in our own fleshly way help us to see the things that have occurred in our lives the the shaping influences as your sovereignty and not as as something we can look back and and complain about or or point a finger at as being uh, disruptive to us but instead something that we know that you have done with a purpose so that each one of us might uh, be more godly in the, in the long run. Uh, thank you for the time that each of these couples has invested here. May it be that uh, you honor that in uh, kids that grow up to love you and serve you and that their name is written in your Lamb's Book of Life. In your name we pray. Amen.